Welcome to the sixth episode of the Roden Fellows Podcast. My name is Jonathan Scott. I'm a junior broadcast journalism major at Hampton University, and I hail from Brooklyn, New York. We've got a very special show for our listeners today, and to do it right, I've brought in three of our Roden Fellows, Alex, Marissa, and Jayla. Ladies, if you will. Hello, everybody. My name is Alex D. Williams. I'm a junior at the illustrious Howard University from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hello everyone, I am Marissa Stubbs. I am a senior broadcast journalism student who attends Florida A&M University. Hi everybody, I am Jayla Jones and I am a senior who attends Prairie View A&M University. Now our guest for today is someone who needs no extra introduction. We have the talented Miss Taylor Rooks. Hello, it's so nice to be here with you guys. I'm, I know like obviously I'm gonna be interviewed on here but I'm looking forward to just learning a lot about you guys as well. So thank you for having me. Yes, yeah, so once again, thank you for joining us today. Our first topic is going to be along the news of what, ha- what recently occurred in Miami with the Miami Marlins um, in the MLB. And Kim Ainge was recently named the general manager. So I just wanted to know your opinions on it and how do you feel as a woman working in the sports industry? How important was this for you? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, it's a great question, but I think one of the most important things about, you know, Kim being hired. And one of the coolest things about Kim being hired is that she deserved the position. You know, she is a baseball lifer. This is the thing that is clearly the most important thing to her. She has dedicated, you know, the majority of her life to this. And I think that that is the thing that really should be the focus is that she, in a lot of ways, was overqualified for this position. She had interviewed to be a GM years ago. And could have really gotten it at that time, but was looked over. And it's a thing that has been on her radar for quite some time. And I'm excited and really happy that the Marlins saw, you know, what made her really great. And that's that she is a brilliant baseball mind. So I think sometimes when things like this happen, we focus so much on, you know, its significance, which means that we're putting a lot of the focus on the business and the flaws in the industry, but I want us to really start putting focus on the person who is the trailblazer, you know, the person who has, you know, received that position and why they received that position and why they deserved it. So above all else, yes, obviously it is so amazing. She's a woman. It's so amazing. She's an Asian American, but I think the most important thing is that she deserves to be where she is. So it it was a really, really great day. And I hope that she's just the first of many. Right. And I like how you mentioned that she was overqualified. I feel like sometimes in the industry, a lot of women are overqualified or they do have the same amount, same amount of resume as a, a male, but were sometimes overlooked. So have you personally had that experience where you felt like you were so much more qualified than someone else, but just because you were a woman and a Black woman, they didn't pick you for this particular position? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in life, we have all had these scenarios where we're like, I, I know that I deserved this. Like, why am I not the person who, who got it? You know, what is it about me? Um, but I think that through time, and this is the thing that I always say to people is like, whenever I see a woman or a black person in any position, I know that they're really great at their job because I know that they had to be in order to, to receive that position. So that's one of the reasons it just like warms my heart when I, I see black people, people of color, really working hard and really thriving in these places, because I know that it really is it's so many times such an uphill battle. 
um, to be there. So yes, it has happened to me. I'm sure it has happened to everybody on this call um, at, at one point or another. So that's why it is so great when we see people really, you know, break through and then exceed uh, in those spaces. And um, speaking of exceeding, you are someone that has definitely exceeded in this industry um, as a trailblazer for a lot of other young Black women like myself. So what can you say or what can you, what kind of advice would you give us just to increase the amount of presence of Black women in this industry? Yeah. Oh, well, first, that's really sweet. You know, growing up for me, there was a lot of people that I looked at and I was like, you are here and it means that I can do it. You know, whether it's Pam Oliver or Robin Roberts or Carrie Champion and Jamal Hill. These are people that I would always look at and say, like, this is this is really important because I know that I can exist in these spaces because they also exist um, in these spaces. I think the best thing that we can do to, you know, increase the presence of Black women, of Brown women, of Black people in general um, in the sports space is to understand that really each one has to teach one. Like, it's important to do things like this where. I can talk to others that want to enter into this space. I really try my best to, you know, do podcasts and take phone calls and answer questions because I wanted that so badly when I was trying to come up to somebody to learn from, somebody to really understand, you know, how they were able to do what they're doing, you know, how they prepare, how they become good, how they learn how to how they learn what to do with their hands on television like all of that stuff is is really important and the only way to get those answers is to ask those questions and the only way that you could ask those questions is if people continue to make themselves super accessible so i think that is a, a big key on how we can add more to the space and have more of us in the space. Um, not just because we are good at the job, but because in a lot of ways, we reflect the stories that we're telling. You know, it's stories about black athletes, it's stories about struggles that they face both on and off the court or field. And we know very intimately what those struggles are. And we can tell those stories in a way that somebody who is not a black person, you know, can't, they maybe don't even really have that same depth of understanding. I think especially right now when we are seeing really, you know, society and culture and sports and politics really intersect, you have to have people that have the same lived experiences as those that you are telling stories about. So it's important to have more of us in the space. It's important for there to be not just black people in front of the camera, but black people behind the camera, black people who are decision makers, black people who are in front offices, black people who are directors, producers, like everything, like all of that matters. The hiring process is very, very important because it's a myth when people say, well, you know, that there wasn't a lot of black people that could have done the job. That, that's really not true. It's just knowing where to look because there is such, such an abundance of talent and really, really special, you know, young black people that want to work and can really, really excel at the job. I really like the point you made with the each one teach one. Uh, visual, visual representation for our younger audiences is so important. I know for me growing up, I didn't see too many uh, black Af African-American people on television. I mean, artists, entertainers, of course, but the people who are bringing you your nightly news, um, interviews in your own city, those are the people that I noticed, okay, oh, they've got a new black person on um, like channel six news or whatever. But it's just the fact yeah. that I can see that and be like, okay, if that person can attain that job, then I should be able to as well. And I mean, 
Look at um, Miss Harris. We've got a new VP. So that's inspiring to people all over the world, honestly. No, absolutely. And like, that's the thing you really cannot underestimate the power of that. And one thing I tell you, I was reading this book um, and it something kind of clicked for me because I realized that representation is really something that works both ways. Well, yes, it's very important for, you know, young black people to look and see someone that looks like them on TV. It's also important for the people looking at that person on TV who aren't black because they are in a lot of ways not fed that enough. So the more that they see that there are all these different types of people and not just the ones that they're seeing, you know, in their purview, the representation is representing something to them too. It's not because they look like them, it's because they don't look like them. And so they need to see that it exists in those spaces too. I like how you mentioned, you know, being able to connect to those whose story you're telling and just about storytelling overall. And speaking of great storytellers, I want to transition a little bit. And I want to tell you that you are one of my favorite people to watch when it comes to interviewing oh, and you. people. You're always so fun. Like, I think my two favorite interviews are probably, I remember your interview with Kevin Durant. And mm -hmm. then of course your interview with um, Chris Paul and Shy. So oh, I want yeah ask you like because I know you you step away from the normal like black and white like you're going to sit here I'm going to sit here we're going to interview you there like you make mm -hmm. it fun you make it a great atmosphere so what do you do to connect to your guests how do you prepare for those fun type of atmospheres yeah well thank you so much for watching I'm happy you enjoyed those um I mean I try to make them fun because I want to have fun it's a little selfish honestly I'm like do I want to sit in your home Chris or do I want us to go bowling like I think <laughs> I'm gonna take bowling you know if it's Tyler here I'm like are we gonna like sit in American Airlines arena or can we go on a yacht like you know let's let's make this fun for for all people involved um but no, one of the really the main reasons I do that is because one of the keys to having a good interview is the environment. And the more lax the environment is, the more lax the interview will be. If you interview somebody in a studio, they walk in there automatically like, oh, interview mode, because they know when they're going to the studio, they're sitting down, they're gonna have their water, there's gonna be the lights, you're gonna ask a question, they're gonna answer. But when you're, you know, roaming around a bowling alley or, you know, you're on the boat or you're in a shoe store, you are becoming a product of your environment. Since you're doing something that you love, something that is fun, you then begin to act in that way. You also begin to answer questions in that way. You, you stop feeling like a robot, like you may when it is such like a stuffy um, environment. So I really do think that all of that stuff plays a role in interviews. I also don't really love to do interviews where the person can see their mic because when you see a mic in front of you, you also start to act like you are being interviewed. It's one of my big, big things. It's like, I want a lob, I want it to be small. And you will just, these little tiny things will make you put your guard down and have a conversation like you're just talking to, to one of your friends. So all of that stuff plays a role into the type of answers that you can elicit uh, from your guest. And I think you mentioned the Chris Paul one, it was cool and he was funny because the environment allowed him to be. So I try to keep that in mind with each person that I'm interviewing and for the preparation, like I tailor it to what that person likes. Like Chris is actually like kind of a professional bowler. So I wanted us to, you know, do that at a bowling alley. 
DeMar DeRozan apparently has like a greater shoe closet than PJ Tucker. So I wanted us to go shoe, you know, sneaker shopping. Tyler is just like, love Tyler, but he's like an outrageous person and he's so mm-hmm. Miami. So I was like, let's do it on a yacht. Like the, the preparation and all that stuff comes from like, as you're learning about them, you know, there are so many articles about Chris and bowling and things like that with Rudy Gobert. There's articles about how he likes to walk the trails around his house. So we did that in Utah, like little things like that. So you just will pick up on a lot through the research that you do before the interview. All these NBA players and all these different personalities, I know it'll probably be hard sometimes to to tailor everything to them. And I really appreciate what you do because it really comes out really, really well. And you're possibly the best at it right now. Oh, that's so sweet, Jayla. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. It's, It's fun. I feel super blessed and super thankful that I get paid just to talk to people. So it's it's really fun and I love talking almost annoyingly so. So I can't I can't really think of something else that I, I would enjoy doing as much as this. So it's fun. And really, I don't think that we like we as interviewers say this enough. I'm really thankful to the people that allow me to interview them, you know, that say you can come into my home or you can ask me these questions like that is the most valuable part of it is that people are saying, OK, I, I trust you to tell my story. You know, you know, I, I believe that talking to you is something that I can benefit from as well. So I'm really thankful to everybody who has, you know, just agreed to to sit down with me. Speaking of NBA players, the NBA overall has been like this runaway freight train. It's like for the last couple of months, everything has been NBA and you were actually in the NBA bubble. You know, you were there when the Bucks were there, you were there, you know, as everything was unfolding. So talk a little bit about, you know, that experience and, you know, kind of the highs and lows of what you experienced there. Yeah, uh, I mean, that is definitely the the thing that will be the most memorable uh, to me in my career, just because it was unique and special um, and really meaningful on a, on a lot of levels. Um, but specifically with, you know, the Bucks, I just remember how long we were sitting outside the locker room. It was like over four hours. You were just waiting to see if something was going to happen. They were, the communications people were asking us if we needed food or water, like, cause we were out there for so long. And then at one point they come out and they're like, this game is postponed. And they come out and say, all the games are postponed. Like it was just a whirlwind. It was a lot of waiting, but it was just so much was happening within the waiting. Um, so that, that absolutely sticks out, but it was really cool to be there and to be able to say, I mean, there's only so many people that can tell you what the bubble was like, cause there was only so many of us there. So to be a part of this like fraternity that really bonded and experienced, you know, a first and an only all together uh, was really special. And just between between us, because, you know, we're all we're all friends now. Right. Was <laughs> really that bad. <laughs> you know what? I was really nervous going in because you kept on seeing these guys posting the food and saying it was bad. I'm like, oh, my goodness, like I am not going to eat anything and I love food. But I realized very quickly they were being incredibly dramatic. I thought the food was actually really good. You know, so when we first got there, we had to quarantine for seven days. So you could not leave your hotel for seven days every day or every morning. Someone would knock on the door. You would open the door. They'd be gone. But your breakfast would be right there. The same thing would happen for lunch and dinner. And literally the first day, I'm like, this food is good. And they gave you so much food. 
like you really got a lot of food and I mean it was hot food the chicken parm sandwich was so good that's what I missed the most they had great ice cream there would like be different nights sometimes we'd have Asian food sometimes Mexican food like it was I thought it was really good there's sometimes I honestly miss the bubble like it was it was such a great experience and there's definitely different elements and I'm like oh it was so fun that all you did was walk to practice like like, all that was a really really good time it was like summer camp um but no everybody was super dramatic about the food because it was good (laughs) and I would tell you it was bad I really really would only thing I I keep telling people only thing I wish is that we had sushi because sushi is my favorite food mm-hmm. and there was no sushi in the bubble, but that was the first thing that I ate when I got back to New York. <laughs> well, great. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> no problem. Taylor, I like how you touched on the fact that um, how important a setting and environment is for at least doing conducting an interview. Have mm-hmm. you had any um, horror stories interview wise or just anything that, that didn't go as you planned? Please yeah. Talk. You know, I always get so nervous when people ask me this question because like I haven't, but that just means that I'm going to like, that means it's going to happen. I don't necessarily have like a horror story, like where somebody stormed out of the interview or didn't, you know, didn't show up, something like that. Only thing I can think of is when I um, was at the Big Ten Network, I started my podcast time out with Taylor Rooks at the time I was podcasting. And my first two guests were going to be uh, Tarad Taylor and Snoop Dogg, and, like separately. Like Tarad was like the soft open and then Snoop was going to be kind of like the hard open. So I interviewed Tarad. He was so great, so nice. We talked for maybe like 45 minutes. After it, I realized I didn't record it correctly. So the whole thing was gone. And keep in mind, I had already like teased that this interview was coming out. Like there was no going back. So I had to call him and say like, listen, I am so sorry. You probably think I am just like the most amateur unprofessional person ever, but can we re-record this? I don't know why he, he said yes, but he said yes. And we recorded a completely different podcast. Um, but I learned a valuable, valuable lesson, which is always press record. So I, uh, <laughs> and I will never not press record ever again in life. <laughs> um, Taylor, I just want to transition into, I think during this throughout the pandemic and when the pandemic first hit, journalists and people within the media industry were just trying to figure out how we are still going to be creative during this time. So that's what I really want to touch on. Can you take us through how you continue to um, push push your content forward and how did you alter it or how did the pandemic affect it and you know how did you come back from it and you say, during this time, I'm still going to continue to be creative? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it weirdly made some things easier. Like if something happened, I could just text and say like, hey, can you do a Zoom tomorrow? You know, as opposed to like, I'm going to come there and we need a studio. We need a, you know, it was just like something cool could happen. And I'd say, hey, it might be cool to interview this person. I'd hand him up and the next day we would have an interview. I just wanted to make sure that I was still like bringing news. Like if something happened, I wanted to record it and put it out there. Um, and even little things like when the season shut down, 
that next day I like interviewed Spencer Dinwiddie and Danny Green and was like, let's just put this out there. Cause right now people just want to know what players are doing, you know, like it was just kind of little things like that when nobody had spoken to Rudy Gobert about anything yet. He allowed me to interview him on IG live like that, that type of stuff I think was really meaningful to add into the conversation, especially when so much was lacking. I think one of the, one of the interesting things about the pandemic that has shifted the way I do my job in some ways is with there being no like in action sports in the very beginning, people really wanted to just learn more about the person. Like, cause we couldn't talk about the game you won or lost. You know, we couldn't talk about that big shot, you know? So it was like, what do you do with your days? You know, how are you managing this pandemic? How are you doing? Like all of that stuff became a, a, like a different interest point. And um, people, I think above all else, just really wanted to feel connected to others. So it just changed the way that we did content, the type of questions that we asked. But I still wanted to make sure I was at least putting something out like once a week. And before the bubble, that's that's what I was doing, constantly putting out interviews. And then I was in the bubble for two months and I kind of just needed to take a minute because it was so nonstop for 60 straight days. And I was working really long days, sometimes not getting back to the room until like 2 a.m. Like it was, sometimes it was just, um, a lot, but I think we have all seen, you know, the way that we consume media change uh, throughout this time. Definitely. And transitioning over to sports now that we have them back. Um, well, I want to get your thoughts on the NBA draft. And also, you know, with do you think it's a good or bad decision for them to be resuming in December? I know it's a quick turnaround for athletes and 22 teams that played in the bubble. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I have learned through life is there's always the good decision and there's the right decision. And sometimes those aren't, those aren't the same thing. I obviously understand why athletes would feel like starting in December is not a good decision. You know, their bodies, they're tired, they need a break, but it's the right decision because of the long term. And so I think that they're all kind of coming to terms with that. Um, and I've also gone in terms with that too. It's like, all right, we're going to turn back around and we're going to be doing this. So, but I think just for the sustainability of the league for, you know, the money, everything like that, December, just kind of what it has to be kind of sucks. You know, the Lakers are coming up winning a championship. They're exhausted and they're about to start. I think everybody has to report, but like December 1st, that's right around the corner. Um, but hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, this is the last time we'll have this modified type of season. I think obviously if everything goes according to plan, we'll go back to having, you know, finals in the summer, draft in the summer, starting off the season later in the year, like all of that hopefully will come with the next, next season. One question that I know has been burning, at least in the back of our minds, is um, what was what was Taylor Rooks like in college before before your I'll say before working in the Big Ten network, all that. What yeah. was and when was it that you realized that this career was for you? Um, so I mean, or, or I'll rephrase that. When did you know that this is what you wanted to do? And then when did you realize that okay, I'm on the right path and let me keep this going? Yeah, no, so I have always like wanted to do something with like talking to people on television. Like when I was younger, I would set up the camcorder and do these like fake newscasts in my room. Like 
So I've always loved that. When I was in elementary school, I was the host of our like Eagle News Network. So I delivered the news to everybody in the morning. I've, I've always really loved that. But I think it was in college when I said, okay, like I, I think I'm pretty good at this. I can really make this my career if I, if I dedicate myself to it. Um, maybe that aha moment for me was when I started my blog and it was getting a lot of traction and places were liking it. And then they asked me to work for them. Like that's when I said, okay, people who actually do this for a living are looking at this stuff and saying, you know, she has a future in this. She has a potential in this, but in college, I, I really worked a lot. You know, I went to all of our home and away games. I had stories that I had to do every week. And I mean, like with work, I also had multiple stories I had to do because of school. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff when I was in college. I interned every summer. I had a full-time job um, with Fox Sports and Scout.com. So it was a lot, but I say this to everybody. I really feel like the point of college is to get ready for what you're going to do after college. So I was fine sacrificing a lot of stuff in college because I wanted to have a good job when I was done. You know, I was fine if maybe I had to miss a class because I had to go to a practice because I've just been of the mindset of like, if this is the whole point, like if I'm studying journalism, but I have the opportunity to actually do journalism, why would I miss that? Because I had to go to my class. Now, listen, I'm not advocating not going near class. <laughs> I am not saying no to class, but that logic never really made sense to me. And I would say that to my professors. I'm like, well, I'm here because I'm saying that when I'm done, I want to tell stories. So like, I should do that. You know, I, I just was always, you know, of that, of that mindset. And yes, sometimes you would disagree, but I'm super close to my professors because I think they understood that I knew exactly what I wanted and I obviously am not, but I always think that I'm right. It's like my biggest flaw. Um, but my professors are always like, but in this, like she maybe eventually will be right. So I'm going to let you not do this class, but you're going to have to make it up. Um, so we're, we're all still very cool, very close to this day, because I'm sure I was a headache in, in a lot of ways, but they, they were very good to me. Yeah, I know as us as fellows working for ESPN and the undefeated, as well as still being in classes, like for me, I literally had to take my sports journalism exam about an hour before this. So <laughs> I can... Yeah. I can say that, yeah, we, we've all been feeling at least the, the heavy load for this virtual semester. Um, Alex, <laughs> no, for sure. I think Alex had another question going back to the uh, NBA topic. Yes, just transitioning a little back to, I know you talked about the effect that this is going to have on the athletes' bodies, and recently it was just reported that Clay is going to be out, unfortunately, for next season. So what are your sentiments on that? How do you feel about what this impact of having to play just as soon again in December, what can that do with other um, athletes? Yeah, I mean, the clay news is so sad just because I mean, obviously the NBA is so fun when the when the Warriors are good, you know, I, I just really sucks because injuries, they, they really rob you of what could have been, right? Like we don't know now what the season would have looked like with Clay and Steph and Draymond, like and James, like all these people that what this team was going to look like. So it really, really sucks. I obviously wish him the speediest and healthiest recovery possible. Um, but yeah, that's 
that really is the danger of of gumming right back you know fatigue is a very big reason that why athletes do get injured so i know that a lot of these training staffs are going to have to go into overdrive figuring out what they can do for their guys you know to really make sure that this is not something that gets out of hand you know because it can be detrimental in a, in a lot of ways so my fingers are crossed that we don't see any more like that yeah, and I definitely, um, I see that now kind of with the NFL season, just because yeah. the NFL, they didn't have a preseason. So you're seeing a lot more injuries because players just immediately went out there and played. Um, and yeah. noticing how that effect is going to continue to have on a lot of their bodies, not for just this season, but the upcoming season is something that we all kind of worry about as fans, but especially working in media. Yeah, because I mean, there was that really rough day in the NFL, like it was a Sunday that that graphic just had so many injuries on it. Like, this is not good. Like, we've got to figure this out because, you know, at what point is it just like not worth it, you know? So, but it does kind of feel like after that, I maybe teams kind of change their, their schedules, their workouts. It has gone down a bit, but you're also seeing a lot of like re-injuries maybe because, you know, people are rushing back and things like that. So I want people to be, to be wary of that. Um, but yeah, it, it really sucks that because of how this pandemic was handled, we are now in the situation where people are really inconveniencing themselves and hurting their bodies in order to, you know, deliver this product that they love so much. And I know just because you saw the success of the NBA bubble, do you think that there is a possibility of an NFL bubble? Do you think that's something that could potentially work? I say no, just because there's too many. There's just too many uh, NFL players for that to work. Also, you know, the NBA had so many things on their on their side. You know, ESPN is one of the rights holders. They had Wide World of Sports. We took over Disney World. Like, there were just so many reasons why that worked. There was also, you know, it wasn't every single NBA team, you know, so they had a really good system. I was of the belief before the bubble, I was like, There's, we're not gonna finish. Like, someone's gonna get it. Like, I was just sure that it wasn't gonna finish. They thought of every single thing. Like, I have just never seen something executed so perfectly. They, like, they thought of everything. And so kudos to the NBA for that. But for them to do that with just that amount of people, doing it for the NFL, I'm like, oh, where would you do it? where are all those football fields? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was the best thing that was on the NBA side was existing infrastructure. I don't necessarily know where that existing infrastructure would be uh, for the NFL. But I, I mean, I wish there could be a bubble. Clearly it works. You know, we had no positive COVID cases throughout that entire time, which is a miracle truly and super impressive. So Kudos to Adam, I'm Adam Silver and the NBA. I know you all mentioned change. I know there's a lot of change happening right now, especially as we enter the trading waters of the NBA. So I first want to ask you all, and I'm going to open this up to everybody. I want to ask you all about what, did, what was your reaction when you heard that both Russell Westbrook and James Harden wanted a trade? And, you know, what are some other trading you know, what's happened thus far that's really, you know, had you surprised and got you on your toes? 
Yeah, I mean, I love uh, Chris being in Phoenix. I mean, Chris is just one of my favorite people in the NBA in general. And I think, you know, him and Devin and DeAndre, like, I think that that really could be a really good team. I don't think that people really realize how Chris, in a lot of ways, single-handedly changed the culture of the Thunder. He turned that Thunder team into winners. And all of the younger guys bought in. I don't think that there is a better, stronger, more capable leader in the NBA than Chris Paul. I have never seen anything like it. The way that he really knows how to, you know, control a room and mentor these players. Like it's, it really is, you know, a marvel um, to experience. But I just think Devin already is somebody that we weren't paying enough attention to because he was in Phoenix, because he was such an incredible player on a bad team. But everybody who was watching the bubble saw that, no, this guy, he doesn't, these aren't one-offs. Like he is a really, really gifted player, gifted scorer. He is one of those people. I remember talking to Melo and he's like, he in so many ways really reminds me of Kobe because of that mentality that he had. And Devin is somebody who was, you know, close with Kobe and he does have a lot of his, you know, mannerisms. You'll see him do some things. He plays like him in so many ways. So to be able to have Chris there is just going to really bring them to, to a really different level. So I'm excited to watch him with the Suns. I know you guys saw, they were like, already working out yesterday or the day before so i'm telling y'all chris don't play when he's on your team you better you are in that gym i have i have seen it so absolutely i think Devin is just going to grow leaps and bounds with chris being on that team yeah i agree with you uh it's alex here i was someone that was a huge fan of when he prayed for us at the hornets because i'm from new orleans so mm-hmm. just that kind of reunion with him and monty williams i'm just so excited to see what what's going to happen there. And hopefully Chris can get his ring. That is something that I've always wanted yeah. to bring before he retires because he really deserves it. Totally. hundred percent. Like he, and I just think the thing about Chris is he could easily be remembered more for the things that he did off the court too. Mm-hmm. Like being president of the MVPA, really leading the charge and voting within the league, really being one of the players that always wanted to bring light to social injustices. Like he has really become this figure um, that is really, really important. So, but on the basketball side, I, I do hope he gets a ring as well. It's crazy to think what could have happened if that, trade to the Lakers went through that year we could have seen Kobe and Chris and when he was on my show he was telling me like he was back to get on the plane to LA like he it was really about to happen like that and then last minute it just didn't Uh, I always think like the trading period is so weird and not really weird but more so like it's a lot to take in at the same time Mm -hmm. and I think of course the players who are being moved around they have a lot to take in and I just and to think that it's not done yet like there are so many more moves coming about that we haven't even yeah. heard about yet it's it's crazy but everything you all mentioned I think is next season is going to be so fun you know I hope everything you know turns out the way it's supposed to but in terms of you know where the players are landing and the new coaches and everything next season is is going to be real different <laughs> no absolutely totally totally agree it's going to be exciting to watch for sure Yeah, and I want to add to that point. I think now this draft, especially during this time with everything being virtual, players 
are getting the chance. It's kind of going to be like which player, which uh, drafted player is going to shape that team, shape that next NBA team. So I know the Warriors, I'm a Warriors fan. So with them drafting James Wiseman, I definitely think he can add to our offense. And with Clay out, unfortunately, we're going to have to have him be definitely be um, more productive on the court to help us really gain that warrior um warrior championship mentality back <laughs> no absolutely i really like that pick though i think james is going to be super special going back to some of the um advice that you have for our uh, audience what are mm -hmm. some of the journalistic skills that you think are most important for those that are interested in this field well i think the most important journalistic skill is listening think that it's impossible to ask a good question if you don't listen. And sometimes people get too caught up in like having a list of questions that they just want to ask that they miss out on follow-ups because sometimes there's just like a lot of meat in what somebody says. And if you ask them to expand on it, that's where you really get, you know, your, your clickable moment, your newsworthy moment. So I think that listening is the number one thing and it sounds simple, but I think that's a lot harder than people would really, you know, realize. Um, also being present in the interviews is important as well. Preparation. You cannot watch too many interviews of your subjects. You cannot read too many things about your subject. You want to just be fully loaded with info so that you can always go somewhere else with what they said. You can just always be ready. If they say something, you want to understand what they mean. The context is important and a lot of times. So I, I would say being present, preparation and listening are the, are the most important things. I'm glad you mentioned going back and reviewing what your subject has previously done. Cause you know, yeah. you can say uh, on our behalf, we've done a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, no, I can tell. I can tell. On that note, you um you did a recently did a podcast with Mr. Bill Roden, the Bros Podcast, and you mentioned the book, the where is what was it, the book called? Um, the table where the black kids sit in the cafeteria. Oh yeah, yeah. It's called um, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? Mm -hmm. Could you go into why that was so important? Yeah, absolutely. So. We read that book in a college class I had my freshman year. And it just talked a lot about these different things and different ways that race has played a role in our lives when we weren't even really thinking about it. Uh, one thing I always remember from the book is they talked about the birthday party effect, saying that like when you are, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, you go to these parties and you see all different types of people, right? Like your, your, all of your classmates are there, whether they're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, everybody's together. But the older that you get, the more of the birthday parties all start to look like the same type of person. I was like, you know what? I never really thought about that, but it's true. They're saying that the, the older that you get, the more you start gravitating towards people that look like you are relatable to you. And they also talked about this part that, you know, when somebody is like five or like five years old, they'll come home and, you know, your mom will say, how was your day? So it was good. I played with Sarah and your mom will say, tell me about Sarah. And they're like, oh, well, Sarah loves the color blue and, you know, she and she has a brother, blah, blah. But then you reach a certain age where you come home and you tell your mom about this friend that you met and you go, oh, well, you know, tell me about Sarah. And you say, oh, well, she's black 
like you then start, you know, but you don't always identify people with that. And you just reach a point in your life where you start to. And so the book just talks about like these different things about race, when they hit, why they hit. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting. I think it's one of those that's like a good introductory book to any person that just wants a better understanding of the role that blackness plays in our lives and how really whiteness is just a response to blackness. And uh, it's good. It's, it's a really, really good book. I, I love readings. I could go on and on about different books, but that one is, is really important. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on and sharing your time with us today. No, well, thank you for having me. You know, I really enjoy doing stuff like this because just talking to you guys, I'm like, there are so many amazing people that are coming up in this industry. You know, you guys had such good questions. You obviously prepared, you listened, you had follow-up. So I, this is really cool for me too. So thank you for having me. You guys stay healthy, stay happy, all the things and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye, you all. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show was produced by Jonathan Scott, co-hosted by Alex Williams, Jayla Jones, and Marissa Stubbs. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby, Christina Buswell, and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Jonathan Scott, and it's been a pleasure to have you join us from wherever you're listening from. Get all of the HBCU podcasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next time for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Okay.